Well, hi there, everybody. Sorry to interrupt your other podcasts that you're listening to, but a little uh, fun announcement to make here. Casey, in summertime, we'd like to get up to some antics. And those antics would involve getting a bunch of nerds together and doing what nerds do best, yelling at each other. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So we are going to do Nerd Debate live this year. <gasps> Nerd Debate 5 live. There we in go. Person. Boom. That yes. is the subtitle. We just came up with it. We will be doing this at the amazing Bullfinch Brew Pub here in Syracuse, New York. So find all the information that you need at our social media or at nightshiftradio.com. We've drank Bullfinch's beer before. Dave, the brewmaster at Bullfinch, makes amazing beers. Check out the amazing stuff that's happening in Bullfinch. You can go to bullfinchbrewpub.com. Come join us on Saturday, July the 29th at 7.30 and be sure to be ready to listen to a bunch of nerds <laughs> argue with each other. <laughs> Alright, we're going to leave your podcast now. Goodbye. <laughs> You're listening to the Never Heard of It podcast. A Night Shift Radio original. Every week we bring you the good, the bad, the weird, and lesser known streaming movies. Hit subscribe for new episodes every Thursday and Sunday. I said this on uh, on the internet, but like, you know, we, we recently talked a fair bit about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. True. Right. Yeah, yeah the we, last couple of uh, bonus episodes have yeah, been about that. Yeah, the last couple of bonus episodes we talked about. We were going to go see it because the episode dropped the day of uh, the release. And then we waited a week and then we we gave our impressions and there was the blog post and we talked all about that. And it is no secret that uh, you and I, and uh, as well as Casey uh, from Super Pod Hero Cast and Where No Mom Has Gone Before, uh, it, we're not fans of Wanda's story arc in this. Now, I came across at least one, but honestly, I feel like I saw this multiple times from different writers where the headline was something like, actually, Wanda's story makes perfect sense. And I was like, look, if you have to write a whole article defending on how something makes perfect sense, I assure you it does not. <laughs> I assure you. Yeah, you know, I, I'm very conflicted uh, about this, uh, specifically because... I loved watching Wanda like be as powerful as we oh, yeah. know her to be. And she had a lot of really great villain moments. Mm -hmm. I felt like the hero moments or the redemption moments in the end of the movie were poorly handled <laughs> and too quick. But also the the whole idea of WandaVision was her her redemption. Like that was her villain arc. That was her being a villain and then redeeming and, and learning from her thing in the end. And I guess, you know, we got the hint of like, eh, maybe she's not so much. But just seeing her be evil the whole movie, I was kind of like, I, I mean, then what was the point of WandaVision? Like, it, 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 I don't know. This was WandaVision part two, but it yeah. felt like it wasn't, it wasn't as great as it could have been. And I agree with you on that, that like she should have had her, her, like her darkness and her redemption in her, her show. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I didn't even necessarily mind her being the villain. I mean, that, that, took me by surprise. I was not expecting Same. it, uh, yep. which I think lended some, some credence to it. Um, I just hated the way they wrote her. I thought she, like her motivation was flimsy at best. And like, it really was just a, a, a weak plot line to throw against. Well, I mean, someone powerful has to be mad at Dr. Strange for some See, reason. I I thought it was I thought the movie was going to be going into it my prediction was it was going to be Wanda 
going after the Scarlet Witch. Like Wanda helping Doctor Strange fight the Scarlet Witch. Multiverse version. I don't know. I mm. kind of thought that that's where they were going to go with it. You know, until trailers kind of started coming out more and more. And then I was like, Wanda's the bad guy in this one. And then I saw it and I was like, Wanda's the bad guy in this one. Okay. I was like, let's go with it. You know, like when the movie started, I was like, okay, let's let's go with it. I just assumed it was going to be some sort of thing where like they would team up because we know that she is a uh, a master of reality. Uh, and because we know that she is uh, supposed to be one of the most powerful beings in this universe where they still can't quite say the M word yet. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, because like, again, even the, 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 I think flimsy poorly written article that makes, uh, like steals too many of its analogies from other pop culture, uh, including the emotional breath of a teaspoon. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the article even, um, acknowledges that, um, where the fuck was I going with this? What 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 did I say immediately before that? <laughs> you have lost your complete train I of completely thought like, about using different uh analogies that are kind of overused and <laughs> I don't know. Doctor Strange, he's he's not a very personable guy and they, they they go into the hypocrisy of it all and I I agree with all of that. Oh, uh they mentioned House of M and how like they can't right. really do the House of M story. That's where I was going with it. Uh they can't really do the House of M story because they can't say the M word uh yet, although uh, soon. And, and honestly, I think they they totally could have in this movie cuz at this point they like all of, all the 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 necessary the signed. <laughs> all the necessary say uh, I's and T's are dotted and crossed for Marvel to own the word mutants again. Um, and so they totally could have leaned fully into House of M. It was more, not not that they can use mutants, it's more just that they haven't yet. So like, oh, what do we do with all these mutants? Right. What are Which, we going to do uh, with all this Wanda? <laughs> right. I, you know, I, I do have a question though. Yeah, yeah. Am I misremembering that at one point Wanda has a very thick accent. Wanda's accent is questionable. So is that a That's a that's a known thing. I don't know if it's intentional, but that is a known thing that like Wanda But are we Wanda... collectively misremembering it? Oh, maybe. Perhaps. <laughs> Could that be an example? <laughs> And that being said, hello and welcome to the Never Heard of a Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Fight. And I'm Caleb bringing you all the hits. <laughs> so uh we are back with another multiverse story uh and this time we're talking about uh it's kind of multiverse it's kind of matrixy but this movie is called the mandela effect and yes it is exactly about what you think it is it is a movie about the about power of freedom and yeah. wait no house no, arrest not and no. political <laughs> Not Nelson Mandela, although it does Not, specifically does me- reference Nelson Mandela. Well, that is that is where the the phrase the term came from. Uh, the Mandela effect. It was one of the first Mandela effects that actually uh, happened mm-hmm. via society. Um, yeah, so we're talking about the movie The Mandela Effect, which uh, stars uh, Charlie Hoffheimer, um, who uh, has he's been in a bunch of things. He was in The Village. Uh, he was in the movie Father's Day with uh, 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 Billy. Um, Crystal and Robin Williams, great movie, by the way. Um, he was in Black Hawk Down, and he was in the horror movie Would You Rather. Um, but this movie also stars, yet again, 
Robin Lord Taylor. Robin Lord Taylor, uh, back who again. Who was in, yeah, who was back again. He was in uh, Another Earth. And I think it's funny that in this, he's also relegated to the, like, losery younger brother. Yeah, he's just... <laughs> Like, like that's his uh that's his character that's who he plays he's that's he's, a shtick he's the brother yeah um, who and, has four lines the whole every movie he only really talks a little bit and he's like all right i'm out and then he just leaves for some reason <laughs> and at some point like he 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 gets whiny for like just like a line and then like bounces back and isn't again like when yeah. uh, he he gives uh, what's her name? Shit for like, you know. Promise me you'll write me back this time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when she, uh, yeah, because she was in fucking jail. By yeah. the way, we're talking about Rhoda from Another Earth. All right, she was Rhoda, in Rhoda. jail. She uh, was maybe a little sad and didn't want to talk to you. And also, we we cannot forget about uh, Clark Peters uh, as Doctor Roland Fuchs. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah. Fuchs. <laughs> Fuchs, yeah. As soon as I read that, I was like, "Yeah, he does." Doctor and then he was Fuchs. Like, Doctor Fuchs, and I was like, "Oh, lame. Just go into it." Uh, <laughs> he is in. Uh, he, he's in the Foundation series. I, I recognized yeah, his face I immediately. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's 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 a great actor. I I like Clark Peters. Yeah, he he's been in a few things. Um, uh, he was great into Five Bloods. Obviously, he was in The Wire. Um, you know, th- uh, three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Like, you know, he's been in some really good things. Also, his dark materials. So, uh, and this is the the scope of the the recent adaptations of my you know beloved childhood favorites. Uh, the the full spectrum where, where one I think was brilliant and the other is trash. Yeah, and he's in both of them. <laughs> And he's going to be in the new uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth series uh, that is uh, coming soon, which supposedly is going to be a little, it's still going to be the, you know, David Bowie-esque, but they're, I guess they're leaning more into dark humor than gothic sci-fi. That looks very good. It looks like it's going to be really cool. I've seen a lot of articles talking about it, and I'm actually really excited for it. So uh, I'm excited to to watch that when that uh, comes out. Yeah. Yeah. So the movie, The Mandela Effect, is uh, streaming for free on Tubi TV, as well as many other of those type of sites like Pluto TV and all those sort of things. So if you are unfamiliar, if you didn't watch the movie and you are unfamiliar with the term The Mandela Effect, so The Mandela Effect is is basically a coin term that talks about uh, as a society, there's this mass misremembering of specific instances. So it actually got coined from uh, Nelson Mandela, the Mm -hmm. the famous political figure. Um, So uh, Nelson Mandela, who uh, uh, this theory is named after, died in 2013. However, there was this large, like, society-wide remembrance. I'm not talking, like, flat earthers. There's, like, 12 people in a basement saying, yeah, I'm talking, we're talking tens of thousands to millions of people who misremembered uh, or distinctly remember him dying in prison in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that actually wasn't the case. Uh, so it was, um, it can be traced back to basically a, a, a news organization, uh, a news release or a press release. Uh, you know, someone was up on the news and was like, oh, well, Nelson Mandela, you know, died in prison. And then saying like, no, 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 I didn't, he didn't, I didn't mean he died in prison. He, you know, it was like a later. So, like, basically, somebody misspoke, but then everyone attached it and only remembered the part of him saying that he died in prison. I think it was one of like George W. Bush's or George Bu- first Bush, George Bush's H.W. Uh, like, yeah, 
mis mis or misspeaking or something like that, like his press secretary or something. I don't remember the exact scenario. This is um, my son and partner H.W. playing you. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so so there's those sort of things, and these are all brought up in the movie. So you know, one they talk about Nelson Mandela. They talk about Jiffy. Uh, it used to be it's Jiff uh, peanut butter, but a lot of people remember it as being Jiffy. Which um, that's one of the like I I do share some of the the misremembered things from the the, the collective Mandela effect. Uh, yeah. I, I did remember hearing that Nelson Mandela uh, died in prison while uh, under house arrest. Yeah, I I do remember the Berenstein Bears. Uh, I do also remember the Berenstein Bears. I. I always remember the the choosy moms choose Jiff. I don't ever remember it being called Jiffy, but there was Skippy, and I think that that might be where people are where people are crossing the yeah. wires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and I do remember it being tunes, as in T U N E S, and Looney not T O O N S. Yep, yep. Uh, Looney Tunes. That was that was another big one. The Berenstain Bears, but it's actually the Berenstain Bears um, um, because let's let's be real. No one was going to print a Jewish uh, family book back in like the early 70s or 80s or whenever this came out. Like no one's like, oh yeah, they, you know, they they go to they go to synagogue every uh, every Friday. Like that wasn't happening. Right? You know, it's going to be a hit with the children, a family of Jewish bears. Like I mean, that's, Jewish bears. that sounds like an awesome book series. And now I want that. But I mean, like, there was I, the bear Jew from uh, <laughs> the uh, Inglorious Bastards. Oh yeah, <laughs> is because he was just a huge Jewish guy that just like fucking killed Nazis. But yeah, as, I, as I, you do. I take your point. Like the you know mid to late twentieth century U.S. like publishing houses were probably not clamoring for uh, for that. <laughs> yeah, right. That was that wasn't a thing. Uh, yeah, uh, Curious George's Tale, which we're going to talk about because that is a major feature, a kind of a major thing in the movie. Um, well, what else? Uh, I, there, there's a few others like how you spell Skechers, Oscar Mayer, Fruit Loops being spelled F-R-O-O-T instead of F-R-U-I-T. Um, the, uh, the, another but, one that gets referenced a few times, which I don't actually think is Mandela effect. I think it's just people not paying attention was the belief that, uh, in Empire Strikes Back, Darth Vader says, Luke, I am your father. Uh, yeah, doesn't. Um, but I mean, we've uh, like I've brought this up before that like people don't pay attention to words very well, uh, and it it shows very clearly in the way people handle song lyrics. Uh, much like yeah. my favorite example being you know the time that the feel good hit of the summer was about school shootings. Um, yes, pumped up kicks is a fucked up song. People, it is a is a ter- like, but it's like so happy go lucky, and everyone's like, oh, what a bop! And I'm like, no, this is a terrible. This is about mass murder of children, man. Like, this is not a bop. You should be crying at this song. So that to say that like people getting uh, movie quotes wrong, that to me that doesn't count as Mandela effect. That's that's excuse me while I kiss this guy. You know that's. <laughs> um yes exactly (laughs) another another turnip boy right you know what i think it is though i think it's i I think you're right in the fact that it's like that people mishearing or or misremembering or mishearing mainly but i think what it is is it's people knowing the general idea of what happens let's uh, the the luke i am your father no i am your father is a really great example 
is everybody knows that line because it's one of the most, I would, I would say arguably one of the most famous lines in cinematic history, right? Like sure. arguably it is one of the most, you know, famous scenarios, situations and lines throughout cinematic history. But I think what it is, is that later on in, in pop culture, you know, uh, Tommy boy is a really great example. People say, Luke, I am your father mm -hmm. as, you know, saying that line. So like, like, like I said, Tommy Boy is a really good example. He says, Luke, I am your father while he's speaking into the fan. Yeah. And there's a lot of other scenarios in which that happens. So I think people are remembering all of the other times that people misquoted it throughout pop culture. And it just becomes ingrained in your memory that, yes, this is exactly how I remembered it. You know, because you you were remembering everybody saying it wrong in other movies as opposed to them saying it, you know, yeah. in that. And there, I think the reason, you know, I think there's a very specific reason of why writers wrote, Luke, I am your father in other movies because it was important that you make the connection mm -hmm. between Star Wars. And they couldn't say, no, I am your father because they'd be like, exactly. Well, what's like, that from? You know, like it has to be. In order to reference that to a wider audience than like people who are like super into Star Wars, you had to establish who was being spoken to at the very least. Exactly. I mean, yep. James Earl Jones's voice with a effect on it is pretty well known. Uh, yep. So if you then just establish who he's speaking to, you can make the Vader Luke connection. Into yeah. And the whole thing. Yeah. Are you talking? I hear nothing. Great. Mm -hmm. I am your father. <laughs> No, no, that is quite That's literally impossible. True. No, Rick, we are three weeks apart in age. That would literally be impossible. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I think really, you know, that's that's what it. Did you know that James Earl Jones was only paid seven thousand dollars to do the voice of Darth Vader? I did not know that. Uh, for the first film, I am not surprised. Yeah, well, there was a couple of reasons. So one, he wasn't that well-known of an actor at no. the time. This is 1977. And two, he was paid that with, they didn't they didn't officially know it was going to be him. They, they had him record the lines and they were like, well, we'll play around because they originally had planned the original actor, the guy in the suit, I forgot what his name is, um, to, to say the lines because he actually doesn't say Luke, I, or he doesn't say, no, I am your father. He says... No, I killed your father. Mm. And then Luke says no. And then James Earl Jones dubbed it over and said, no, I am your father. And only Mark Hamill knew that that's what he was really going to say. Whoa. That's why that was another thing why like, they even had him say it like out loud. So like nobody was going to go and spoil the movie on Twitter in 1977. That's true. Uh, yeah. I did a quick uh, inflation calculation and that uh, accounts to roughly 33,000 uh, and then some in today's dollars. Which is ironic because that means he probably got paid more then than most voiceover actors get paid now mm -hmm. to do full featured films. So that is pretty... Yeah. So like good on him, but also it seems like such a small amount, but really it's actually a lot of freaking money. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, well, I mean, obviously like Vin Diesel and like Bradley Cooper are making way more than $33,000 to uh, do Rocket and Groot, but... Which, I mean, like... I will gladly take $33,000 for a bit voiceover part in hell yeah. Not particularly well known upstart franchise. 
in a 70s space opera? Shit, I would do that now. Man, I would do it for $7,000 yeah, no, now. I, I would totally do it for the $7,000 <laughs> Like, that would also still be a really good deal. But, uh, yeah. So the, the Mandela effect uh, establishes uh, two things in kind of a, an interesting mix, like uh visual with voiceover with montage stuff so well three things i guess so it establishes that our our the the main character uh who is brendan uh, brendan uh, yeah. charlie hopmeyer uh is a game designer and he use, like talks a lot about the theory of uh how like lab rats learn in a maze uh so we established that uh we established that um Brendan and Claire have a small daughter named Sam, uh, who presumably is drowned uh, when she uh, she gets too close to to the ocean and, and gets drawn in. But we don't see that happen. We just we know that she gets too close to the water and we know that she's dead. Extrapolate yeah. people, uh, and we know <laughs> that uh, there there are establishing shots of things that are known to be Mandela effect. So we see him reading to Sam from the Berenstein Bears book. Yep. Uh, we see them watching uh, Empire Strikes Back and him saying, speaking along with it, Luke, I am your father. Uh, and the one that was uh, subtle enough that I didn't actually catch until they went back and explicitly pointed it out to me, uh, as you mentioned, Michael, was uh, dealing with Curious George. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of like the big one they pointed out at the end of the movie. So the one about Curious George is that uh, a lot of people misremember him as having a tail when in fact Curious George never had a tail. Mm -hmm. um, and in the beginning of the movie, when they're all at the beach, Sam is carrying her Curious George doll by its tail. Mm -hmm. And then she goes in the water. We see the, 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 you know, Curious George thing there. She is no longer there. It's the funeral you know, again, extrapolate. Which um, I kind of appreciate how, like, uh, first, this movie's a, like an hour nineteen. It's a it's a reasonably short feature length film. Oh yeah, um, it, it zips pretty fast. But like, they do a, a, such a great job of getting all that initial establishment and exposition and whatnot, all of like who these people are and why you should care, all out of the way real quick, and, and then just give the plot room to figure itself out. Yeah, you know, I gotta say. This is, I didn't hate this movie, but if anything, I watched this movie and at the very end of the movie, I was like, there's so much you could do with this mm -hmm. if you took away the cheesy cliche idea of the Mandela effect. Because mm -hmm. like, you could do a really good movie if you kind of like... It, it like the Mandela effect becomes almost silly. Like it becomes almost comical, even though it's clear, like it is emotionally taxing on the main character, but it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, but it's silly. Like the whole idea of the Mandela effect is silly and it added an unnecessary watering down of a serious situation in a really cool sci-fi film. Well, and this, this plays along with uh, some of the other themes that we've seen uh, in recent films where like the, the whole, I like backbone of this film is uh, that, you know, the uh, multiple realities could exist based on the, the choices that we make. And based on uh, again, they get into quantum mechanics here. The idea that uh, like, an object exists or doesn't exist uh, until it is observed. And at which point when it is observed by a conscious being, it then 
concretely exists and is in that state. So uh, we talked before uh, about how, you know, until something is observed, observed, it can be one of two things. And you know, when you observe it, like you, like it becomes that thing to you, but then theoretically it splits off and an alternate reality, it's, it's the other thing. Uh, so there, there are aspects of that that I think are really fucking fascinating. Uh, as he starts, uh, as Brendan starts going down his, his spiral of trying to figure out what is happening uh, in, in his life, uh, he's researching multiverse theory, he's researching string theory, he's researching you know quantum mechanics, all of these things that are like really fucking fascinating uh, and that like real life scientists are spending a lot of time trying to figure out. Uh, and also simulation theory, which I think we've, we've gotten into here before the you know, basically like the matrix like all our universe all our reality is a computer simulation uh, which i think i find the most fascinating because if that's true then the simulation is self-aware because we know about it right right because that's the other thing like you know but it's it comes down to you know and they talk about this uh i believe they talk about this in the matrix is that they feed the idea of the matrix into society so that people can basically be like, well, there's no way that's true yeah. because it's like, well, that's too silly, uh -huh. you know? Like, that's that's just absurd to be true. So now you basically are doubting the thing, you know, it's like tricking you into doubting the thing that's real because it sounds so absurd. Yeah, so um, at its core, this movie is really more about simulation theory and quantum mechanics and quantum computing than it is about the Mandela effect. The Mandela effect is just the, like, admittedly somewhat awkward motivation that gets Brendan investigating these things and seeing if they're, like, if, if there's any way that he can bring his daughter back. And it's because he starts to, like, he, he goes into the, this spiral of, like, you know, of depression and of grief, of not being able to, to cope with the, the loss of his daughter. And, um, you know, in, in Claire, uh, the the mother is you know trying to move on with her life and wants them to be able to move on together. Wants them to try to to be able to rebuild their home, their family. Uh, you know, get she wants to get she works in a restaurant or runs a restaurant. So she wants to be able to get that business back off the ground. She's really trying to to be strong for both of them, and he can't move on. And then that's when he starts to notice weird things, like he picks up one of her books and sees that it says Baron Stain, and he's like, "Well, that's weird." Uh, and little by little, he starts noticing these these things that are wrong, uh, which again, some of the examples that they they use are are, are super cheesy, and it, it it like it doesn't have the gravitas of uh, what someone going through this you would, you would think would would experience. Uh, so yeah, like I I like the idea of the Mandela effect, but I didn't think that it was ne strictly necessary. Uh, to to move him forward. There are other things, other notions that this movie plays with that I think could have triggered him on, you know, send him on this uh, journey anyway. Yeah, I mean, he's he's living in a world of denial and mm -hmm. the very first thing that tips him off is he sees a photo of the family taken mm -hmm. and he's like, wait a minute, I distinctly remember this photo being taken at insert other place. Yeah, he and remembers like, it being no. at the Seattle Public Market uh, while yeah. you know, visiting Claire's uh, parents when really it's at like, what, like Griffith's the, Observatory or something yeah, like that. Yeah, the Griffith Observatory. Yeah, and he's like, he's like, no, I distinctly remember taking this photo. It was at this point. She's like, no, it's, it's this. Like they could have gone down that route. Like mm -hmm. you could still name it the Mandela effect, 
but take out all of those, all of the cheesy pop culture references and just have it be that where he just keeps being like, no, I'm really sure it's that because it's the whole idea is that it's, it's playing into the idea that he is in utter denial that this situation is happening. So mm -hmm. in his mind, he's basically creating a scenario in which, no, I'm not like this didn't actually happen. Some everybody is working, you know, this is conspiratorial theory. Everybody is working against me to make me think this thing is happening. Like, no, you're crazy. <laughs> I'm remembering it right. When in fact, he really is uh, crazy because he's in severe denial of having lost his daughter, which, you know, I say that he, I, I use the term crazy, uh, but he is he is having a reasonable response to losing a loved one in the way that in a tragic accident. Sure. This is reasonable. Yeah. Not crazy. It's reasonable. Well, but I'm going to say crazy because that's how the movie makes it. Well, and that, that's a big part of, uh, I think, how um, you know, film and TV really portrays grief is like, yeah. you know, people find themselves getting lost in their grief and externally other people like struggle to empathize or maybe like don't empathize or whatnot. And so they kind of like start to, to gaslight or like, you need to, you need to move on. You need to move on. But like the, those are easy words to say. Right. Not so easy to do. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so, so the, the movie progresses with him, you know, basically being like, no man, like something is wrong. Something is weird. He eventually stumbles across uh, Dr. Roland Fuchs, <laughs> um, who was played by Clark Peters. Fun fact, Clark Peters actually played Nelson Mandela in a film called Endgame in 2009. How's huh. that for uh, a Mandela? I don't know. I'm, variation of the world. I believe that. Yeah. Uh, and so he stumbles across uh, Dr. Fuchs, uh, a speech online, and he starts watching the speech and it's basically enforcing the same idea of him saying like, hey, we're living in a simulation. Yep. And whenever you see things that don't add up, it's because of either the simulation is is basically auto-correcting itself or auto-building the world around you. And actually, uh, uh, Brendan makes a really great uh, analogy. He says like, well, what if you know, the simulation is a lot like a video game. Like, mm -hmm, everything mm -hmm. you can see in your eyeline is loaded, but sometimes you move faster than the game, the video game can load, <clears throat> so you get this brief moment of things kind of messing up because the game hasn't loaded fast enough in whatever it is you're traveling. Like, maybe you turned a corner when the game didn't anticipate you to turn the corner, so the game didn't load that environment yet, so everything kind of gets all wonky, yep. which triggers variations and mistakes, things like Berenstain, Berenstain, all, all that sort of thing. It's it's actually a really, like, it's a really great analogy. It's a really cool theory if you believe in, in you know, simulation theory. It's a really great theory. I love how they did that, and it makes perfect sense, which I say, like, there is a really good concept in this movie. Oh, I yeah. love the idea of him chasing after grief and finding out simulation theory. Like, th there is just a lot of cool things in this movie. And the last, like, 15 minutes of this movie were probably the are, are worth watching the whole movie. It is the coolest thing I have ever seen, how everything happens. It was just beautiful to watch. And I was like, man... Man, that like that last fifteen minutes. If I was like a distributor or somebody who was giving money to a movie, that would have sold me on this movie. I would have been like, yes, because yeah. of that last fifteen minutes, strictly. Well, and so they they uh, they they check some some trope boxes uh, that are 
necessary in movies like this. So uh, he, in his grief, he starts going down the, the rabbit hole of research. Okay, that's box number one. Uh, box number two, Claire, his wife, uh, like, in, like, automatically, like, doesn't understand what, he, what he's going through and, like, doesn't try to understand. Uh, of course, you know, we're, we're given limited screen time with the two of them, so... You could make the argument that you know they've been trying for months or years or however long to to figure this out, and he's just not making progress. But like from what we see, she's just not really trying to understand what he's going through. Uh, he tells uh, her brother, uh, who is Matt, that's Robin Lord Taylor, uh, yep. and of course is like, oh yeah, that's cool, man, but like also doesn't believe him. Uh, so he finds the he finds Doctor Fuchs and tries to hunt him him down. And of course, there's a I don't I don't you know you you should leave this alone. I don't do that anymore, <laughs> right. son. And him insisting until the the professor gives in. The reluctant hero, <laughs> yeah. sort of. Yeah. Uh, well, of course, we we have the uh, the the wise old black man trope. Uh, yep. Yeah. Two times in a row. Well, I guess the other guy wasn't black, but yeah. Uh, um, yeah. And then, yeah, and the big thing about that, too, and this is where the big variation comes in, is, you know, Brendan's like, ah, this is it. And Fuchs is like, yeah, you're right. And then they just sort of, like, start working each other up. And then, coincidentally, mysteriously, it just so happens that Dr. Fuchs works at this college, which has the server where he thinks the simulation is based well, isn't that just convenient? Well, I don't think they they it, it gets muddy here, and I I didn't care for this as much. Um, they don't say so much that they think the simulation is running on this university's quantum computer, um, but they do somehow believe that uh, that using this this one quantum computer, if they they run. A, a program that is designed to observe everything all at once that will overtax the 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 simulator uh, uh, the the actual simulation you know using up all of its resources and shut it down and I don't know what they think is going to happen if they they think they're living in a si- simulation that like if they break the thing that that's like their lives are going to go back to normal I don't know but like. So this university has a quantum computer, and this guy manages to teach himself quantum compute language, which apparently is a lot like uh, C sharp uh, or yeah. C plus or whatever it is that he uses. I think it's C plus that he, that he codes in. Uh, and uh, like, as an aside, the little snippets that we see of code running on computers in this movie is some of the most accurate in appearance. Uh, that I've seen, like people actually wrote working apps to run within terminal to make it appear as though uh, processes were being run and in some cases completed. And so bravo to that. And like the 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 command prompts actually made sense uh, as he was typing them in. Like yeah, it's it's kind of neat. Um, it's good. We appreciate that. What I will say is that I loved that this university's quantum computer shares some design aesthetics with the Somnium Pyramid. It does. It does. So this one is a giant big black server. It's a giant big black box. I mean, it's like huge, but it has a blue light, but it's blue cross mm-hmm. in it. And it was very ominous. So like, you know, that was good. That was good. And kind of similar vein. Yeah. I, my, 
my problem with that is that I feel like there's a failed ending logic with it mm -hmm. is because if you're in a simulation, that means the simulation is so they in the film they kind of posit that that the simulation is more hollow deck and less like matrixy being pumped into your brain, which I have the problem with because they could have woken up in in the goo chambers and the you know robot flies up and flushes them down the toilet like like what happens in the matrix because that seems more probable mm -hmm. or do i think that's more probable because i watched the matrix but i guess like the 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 common sense logic of it isn't there that if they overload the system everything's going to go back to normal but like what is normal like you're only now realizing this happened but like what how what string of variation are you at like, but it like, could cycle back, and you could have never been married at all. You and know? That they, they talk a little bit about how, like, the, the belief in this case is that the Mandela effect and other so-called glitches in the matrix, as the, the term has been coined, uh, are indications that, you know, the simulation is has gone through this cycle before and is trying something different. And, of course, they like, the voiceover talks about, like, you know, imagine if you you know, were, you know, a, a head of state or like a wealthy businessman and running this and like you could predict, you know, stock markets a hundred years in the future or like the the rise and fall of governments or things like that. Imagine the power you could have. I'm like, okay, okay, that's that's interesting. But that's all assuming that there are uh beings externally who are monitoring this simulation, who are not you who are in the simulation. I actually uh I think that like things like what was it was um Am I remembering correctly, or is this a Mandela effect? Uh, <laughs> that in Free Guy, they were shutting down the, the servers, and so everything, the virtual walls essentially were closing in, yep. and people were just disappearing, and scenery was disappearing, and stuff like that. That's more what I would imagine would happen if they were actually somehow able to disrupt this simulation, was that the, their reality would cease to exist. And theoretically, right. uh, uh, we'll, we'll get into what does happen, but theoretically, you know, whoever's running it would reboot, start over. And right. Move on. Or if you you think of it as like a like a incorrect string, it would just be pruning the branches, right? Yep. They would just clean up the code and dial back to a clean, ver you know, they would just dial back to a clean version of the program and then roll it go back from to there. a snapshot. Right. You just roll it back to your last <laughs> save point and we're, go from there. We're all on someone's virtual machine. This running <laughs> right. in fucking VMware Fusion. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um, so, so at this point, you know, he is like telling his wife, like, no, our, you know, there is a a version of this world where uh, Sam didn't die, and she's like, that's not true. But then the reverse happens, and it gets to the point where he gets to a, he, he figures out a way. I don't know how it, I don't know exactly how it happens. It's, he's kind of messing with code and not totally rebooting, but he gets back to a variation where the daughter didn't die. He implies, Claire, the impl yeah. implies that whoever's running the simulation gives him back the thing that he wants the most to stop him from, from messing, messing with in the, from fuking the, with it. Yeah. Uh -huh. There's further implication that uh, the reason Dr. Fuchs' career went down the toilet was because he was getting too close, and so the, the simulation turned against him. Uh, yeah, and eventually kill him off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I so if I have to say one truly negative thing about this movie, it's that when this happens, when 
when they bring Sam back, and of course he's initially skeptical because you know he he was seeing and hearing her voice and stuff like that, and like there'd be flashes of her, and then she'd be gone, and like you would right. see like and the, you'd be like Claire, did you see or yeah. hear that? And she's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Everything would be like warm and and like soft lighting and everything, and then she disappeared and it'd be like the cold reality, and like that was kind of cool. But like when this happens, when she is suddenly back, Sam is suddenly back. Uh, and like, just as things start to kind of normalize for him, suddenly, uh, Claire starts having nightmares and like thinking like, no, this is wrong. She's supposed to be dead. Sam's not supposed to be here. Uh, which like, it's never really, really satisfactorily explained to me why that happens to her for one. But then does Brendan even once say, Oh my God. Like I recognize this, this, like I, I went through, like I, she, she was dead. Like I experienced this and like, she came back and I don't know what's happening. And I don't know why you can like, you feel this way now, but like, we need to talk through this. No, immediately. Oh, your mom's having an episode. And I fucking hate that. It was bad. Like he, he has, he knows the answer. He like, knows he exactly know, he what's knows happening. The we spent 40 minutes of him knowing the answer mm-hmm. in the film. And he's like, not gonna explain it to her and it's like you fucking should mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. respect your wife dude talk to her talk As to she... your damn people talk <laughs> to your spouses and loved ones yes. talk to them tell them everything about the world glitching around them it is imperative <laughs> it'll just... save you so much trouble it's just it, it's infuriating because we're supposed to spend like the entire first like two-thirds of the movie empathizing with Brendan as, like, his world is falling apart and nobody, like, nobody believes him or nobody, like, wants to listen to him or, like, everyone's like, you know, you need to stop this, you're going crazy. And then the moment someone else is experiencing the same thing, he's, like, just as shitty to her. Yeah, it's... It was really wild. It was it was really disappointing, but it, it was... It happened so fast because immediately after that... He does, in fact, go and figures out the code, and he inputs the code. And this is the part where he inputs the code to to basically reboot the world mm-hmm. or shut down the simulation, you know, basically overload the servers. Um, and this is the scene that I love. Like, as he's heading back, everything is resetting. So, like, there's, like, a really, you know, pretty, like, uh, flowery tree, and mm-hmm. it keeps changing colors, and, like, things are glitching and stuff as he's, like, running back. He goes and sees his wife, and you see her, and then as she turns, like, her face pixels out. Oh, it's very it was wild. really, really cool. It was a really cool scenario, but basically it rolls back to the moment they're at the beach, The daughter is going to play and she gets up and says, hey, I'm going to go down here and do a thing just like exactly like she did in the beginning of the movie. And just as she gets up, we see that she's carrying Kiris George by the leg Mm -hmm. and the doll no longer has a tail. Mm -hmm. And he says, hey, honey, why don't you leave George here? And she goes, "Okay," and drops George and goes off and plays. And that's our indication that she's not going to drown this time because last time she did take George with her. Yep. And I think that was what like attributed to her ending up drowning. Like it ended up getting in the water. She went after it and so on and so forth. Yep. I think that was the implication. Yeah. So like, like that whole last 15 minutes of the movie are great. I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those ones where like, it's a happy ending, right? It's a happy ending. You know, he gets what he wants. The world is reset, but there are a lot of questions remain, but these are good questions. Mm-hmm. Like I like the questions that remain from this um, because it, 
it, they're, they're the questions that make you be like, so wait, if the world is blah and not like, how do they, you know, so like, I don't know. I, I dig it because... It, I dig it because it, it allowed me to ask questions above and beyond and not like, how did you do, if you did the, you know, so like yeah. I like those kind of films. And it, it like, it, it's based on real world science and doesn't try to, it doesn't try to, to bend that too much to the plot that like, you know, I, I didn't find myself screaming too much. I'm like, that's not how this works. Right. Uh, as I often do in, in sci-fi or like any, technology related thrillers or anything like that um it, it felt like it was a, a a reasonable extrapolation of the known science from someone's point of view who maybe like doesn't work in that field like someone who sure. doesn't work in in quantum mechanics who isn't a, a you know a, a physicist who isn't uh, you know, in working in uh, simulation theory or anything like that, but like has a a a reasonable high level understanding of of what those uh, theories are and what their implications are, and says I can write to that. Like it worked. Yeah, yeah. You know, so this is the same. Uh, so this is uh, David Guy Levy, who is the uh, he was the producer, uh, writer, and director of this film. He also uh, was. Um, the uh, producer for uh, Would You Rather. He actually was the producer and director, but not the writer uh, for Would You Rather, which also had, um, uh, uh, what's his name, Hoffheimer, Charlie Hoffheimer in yeah. it as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I think... I think there's a really good movie here, but unlike other times when I say this, the majority of it's good. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. I just think I just think the Mandela thing, I think if you dropped those and interspersed them with more personal Mandela effect instances with him. Yeah. Of like the whole idea of like, no, wait, that's not how it happened. Like he the more variations, but more personable or non these these very specific Mandela effect. Yeah. Um, I think the movie would have felt better. But I totally understand why he made this movie as the Mandela effect, because as a big picture thing, like, yeah, he probably like learned about the Mandela effect, got the idea for it and wrote a movie about it and was like, yeah, this is really cool because it's a cool concept. But the rest of the movie doesn't jive so much with the idea of the Mandela effect. Agreed. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. So should you watch this movie? Uh, I think so. Mm -hmm. I think this is a really cool movie. Yeah, less than an hour and a half of your time. It's a it's an interesting movie. It's it, like uh, visually, it's done well, especially as Michael said that that scene towards the end as the simulation comes apart. Uh, I think it's worth your time. Yeah, totally. I mean, hour twenty, man. It's it's totally worth it. Um, so there it is. So we've got. Uh, do we only have one more left? We do, uh, and it's a doozy. It's a doozy. So the last movie we are doing uh, uh, for, no, we have two more left, actually. That's not true. So true? the next movie we're doing is, we're misremembering, uh, yeah. is Infinitum, Subject Unknown, oh, that's which right. I'm actually excited to watch this movie because it stars Ian McKellen and it's a fairly oh, new movie. Like, it's only like a two-year-old movie. I did completely forget about that. So yes, I'm yeah. excited for this. Uh, but... To spoil that, we are in fact closing out the month uh, with arguably one of the most fanciful uh, multiverse movies, and that is The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, oh. uh, which is R.I.P. Heath Ledger. Man. Wow. What, a, uh, what a treat that movie is, though. So. It's, 
it's going to be really great to talk about that. Um, so if you guys are not following uh, us on on your podcast player of choice, make sure to do so. You know, go ahead and leave a rating review if that's a podcast a thing your podcast player does. Uh, also, hit us up on Twitter, uh, yeah. twitter.com slash the Nahoit podcast. We're the Nahoit podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Tweet at us. Let us know. Let us know what you thought of this movie or other multiverse movies we should check out. You know, always taking suggestions. Um, and of course, if you head uh, to nightshiftradio.com slash the Nahoit, you'll find out all sorts of information about us there. Um, you know, hey, thanks a lot for joining us, everyone. And as always, make sure to share with 100,000 of your closest friends. It's the least you can do, man. It's true. And then have them share it with their uh, multiverse friends as well. <laughs> thanks a lot for joining <laughs> us, everyone. And we will see you next time. A father's tragic past hidden in the adventures of a cartoon mouse. A cautionary tale on the dangers of temporal tourism. A woman searching for answers after the death of an old friend. This is the Storyteller series, a Night Shift Radio original. Every month we bring a new short story to life in a full cast audio drama. We publish a second exclusive story to our online print edition. And we give you a glimpse behind the pages with our author interview series. Subscribe to the Storyteller series wherever you listen to podcasts and visit nightshiftradio.com for more information.